0: the Bible this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. As we continue on our journey through this amazing book, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11 of chapter 2, 1 Peter. A couple of weeks we've made reference to verse number nine, a very familiar passage that says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. But today's passage begins at verse number 11, where Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And then verse 17, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. We live in in an unusual area here in Colorado. By that I mean it is a destination for tourists. It's typically not difficult to spot a tourist here in Colorado. uh, If you're up in the mountains, they're the ones that very quickly slam on the brakes every time an animal crosses the road or they see an animal over here and they're often, the, you, you get them out in, in the open, and they've got a, it used to be anyway, now we've got uh, cell phones, but they used to have a big old camera around their neck, and perhaps binoculars, and a big hat, and, uh, and, and you could just spot that this person is obviously a, a tourist. Well, I hadn't thought a whole lot about it until reading through and preparing for today's message, but you and I, to a large extent, are tourists. Now, mind you, a lot of you have been around Colorado for a lot of years. I don't mean here specific to Colorado. I mean to this world. This world is not my home. I'm just a-passing-through, you see. And on the way, I'm going to notice some of the sights. I'm going to see them, and some of them I'm going to gawk at because they're going to be so hard to believe. But this is not our final home. We're just passing through as we pass through however Peter says there are some things that we need to make sure and do as tourists we're going to look at those today let's pray thank you dear Lord for your love and your goodness your faithfulness to all generations and I thank you Lord that we can call upon your Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts for those who are sorrowing today Spirit of God, would you comfort. For those who are troubled and carrying the weight of the world to their shoulders right now, Spirit of God, would you be their strength. And Lord, for those that are on the edge, the very edge, of giving up, I pray that you might wrap your arms around them and be real to them today. And Lord, for each of us, we need you to do that work in our hearts and lives, conforming us more into your image, and we'll thank you for what you're going to do. For we love you in Jesus' name, amen. I beseech you, Peter says, as strangers and pilgrims. I beseech you, the word means to exhort, I exhort you, I, I, I pray you, I beg you, he says. And then he uses these two, two words, as strangers and pilgrims. Now this is really interesting. He says uh, that these, these two words have a, have a lot of similarity. They have to do with foreigners in the land. People from out of state, if you will. And oh, don't we see the out of state license plates this time of year. <laughs> you just driving to the road, you see from all the different states, it's incredible. And aren't the roads congested more this, year, this time of year? Well sure, because we are a destination for foreigners. And, and that's what he says here. I beseech you as foreigners. Um, those from other areas that are now residing here. Now, of course, he's talking about in Judea, around Jerusalem. I I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims. In other words, based upon this verse and the ones leading up to it, he says, because we are strangers and just passing through, and because we have been called, in verse number 9, out of darkness into His marvelous light, and, verse number 10, because we have obtained mercy, because of these things, we have an obligation to the world around us. Because we're different, because we are ambassadors for Christ, because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, Because we have what the world needs, the solution to man's problems, is Jesus Christ. Because we have that, we're foreigners. And as such, we have an obligation. What's the first obligation? Well, specifically, he says to abstain from fleshly lusts. The word abstain here means to hold off oneself, or to hold oneself off, or to refrain. I wrote, the first first suggestion here, the command here, is to stay away from the wildlife. As, As we're tourists, stay away from the wildlife. And we see this, if you're driving up through Estes Park or whatever, you see how foreigners, sometimes not even foreigners, don't know how to behave around the wildlife. I think it was dated 2015, but there's a picture of a man in the middle of a herd of elk up in Estes Park. He's surrounded by, by elk. And he's got his picture, he's got his camera like this. Now it doesn't show on the picture, it says simply in the caption, this man was taken to the hospital, so hospital shortly thereafter, because he was gored by a bull elk. You think? The crazy things people are doing, walking up and getting selfies with these wild animals. It's insane. It's crazy. But far crazier is when you and I get too close to the allures of the world. When you and I think that we can dabble with the temptations of the world. And if you will, get selfies with us in the world's environment. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts. Well, first of all, don't feed them. Don't don't feed them. Any more than you are supposed to feed the wild animals up in the mountains, don't feed these fleshly lusts. In Romans 13, verse 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lusts thereof. The word provision here simply means supplies. Don't supply them. Supply them. The uh, military knows that if they're going to be successful on the ground, they have have to have a current um, truck, uh, they have to be fed with supplies. And if their supply train stops, they're not going to be out there very long. They have to have supplies. In order for fleshly lusts to succeed, they have to be supplied. And he says, don't supply them. Make no provision for them starve them out he's saying you see we shouldn't feed our fleshly lusts like watching things we shouldn't see like eating too much sugar like watching movies with bad words getting them in our brains don't 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 give the flesh anything that's going to feed it. Some cancers grow because of sugar. Sugar feeds some cancers. So what the doctors will do, they'll take away sugar to try to slow down the growth of the cancer. Fleshly lusts grow as we feed them. Don't feed them. Secondly, pay attention to how you're doing overall. Pay attention to your whole system, spiritually, health-wise, financially, emotionally, socially, mentally. In Luke 21 verse 34 says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Take heed to yourself. Oh, but Pastor Outler, I'm supposed to live my life for others. Yes, but you will not be able to if you die. If you burn out, if you become so discouraged, you'll be no value to anybody else. So take heed to yourself. He says, pay attention to what's going on in yourself. The word take heed means, or phrase, means to pay attention to. Simply pay attention to the barometers. On my dashboard, on my car, I've got all sorts of lights that can come on. And they could be, oh, so distracting. And you didn't want to take it and bang at things. The light goes out. It's just bothering me. Or, or you can pay attention to what that light is flashing and telling you. We can easily become overcharged. He says, Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. Well, I wasn't sure what that meant. So look it up. It means to. Be weighed down, weighed down, overcharged, you're carrying too many burdens. And what's the result? If you become overcharged with these things, and he mentions three of them. First one is surfeiting, and I doubt that most of you on a regular basis use the Old English word surfeiting, it means. Basically, a disgust over overindulgence. A disgust at overindulgence. For instance, this the effect of grossly overeating. Grossly overeating. Read about the Romans. Because I can look at them as an example and not pick on anybody current day. Romans, they, they, would, they would have these, 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 these feasts and they would eat, and eat, and eat, and eat, and eat. They'd go outside, and they'd purge. Why? So they could come and eat some more. They just want to eat, and eat, and eat. (laughs) July 4th, of course, is a very famous day. We celebrate it around here for our independence. It's also a famous day for an event that occurs apparently now every 4th of July. Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest was won again by a man named Joey Chestnut. He won by eating, this year, 62 hot dogs in their buns in 10 minutes. Now, that's pretty phenomenal, and that's ridiculous. And his record is 76 hot dogs in buns. And by the way, these are not the kind of hot dogs that we buy. They're all extra cheap ones, you know. These are the Nathans hot dogs. I mean, this is real meat in there. This is the kind you got to actually chew on for a bit. 76 of them. Now, I read that Joey, according to the internet, holds the following records. And I only wrote down this many of about this many records that he holds. On October 5, 2013, in eight minutes, he ate 141 hard-boiled eggs. In in September 1, 2007, in 10 minutes, he ate 45 pulled pork sandwiches. In July 29, 2011, 53 soft beef tacos from Taco Bell. 53. um, In uh, October 28, 2007, he ate 182 chicken wings. He ate 103 Crystal Burgers. I don't know what a Crystal Burger is. Is that like a White Castle? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) On August 28, 2013, he ate 13.76 pounds of pork rib meat. I like this. On October 26, 2013, he ate 121 Twinkies. 121 Twinkies. And then lastly, on June, 20, or June 1st, 2018, he ate in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in just six minutes, 257 hostess donuts. This man's incredible. Incredible. I mean, superhuman. How could, oh, I read about it. They, he trains, as do other competitors, they train all year long for these events. I mean, they treat it like a major sport. They, they take seasons of their life, and they begin stretching their stomachs. And working to get, now they don't always eat garbage food like this. A lot of times they put stuff in there just that's this better for them. But I'm thinking, this is, this is totally insane. They're saying people who do it for the first time, who have, not, who have not been preparing for this, can eat only a small fraction of what, by the way, there was a woman winner as well. Let me think, 62, she ate 39, 39 hot dogs in buns, 39, ladies. I don't think for a moment we're going to have a contest like this, because the side effects of competitive eating can include, I read, nausea, painful gas, vomiting, heartburn, and diarrhea. More serious side effects could include choking, esophageal inflammation, and potentially even stomach rupture. You know that somebody could actually die from this? Would I be wrong in saying this is gluttony? I mean eating eating more than is necessary, doesn't that? Isn't that the bible definition of gluttony? When I push away or try to after Thanksgiving dinner and try to catch my breath, isn't that gluttony? I said, I. Don't look at me like you don't do that. We can get weighed down. See, here's what he's saying. We in this life can get weighed down with things like gluttony. And then he mentions drunkenness. And then he mentions worries from life in general. These are things that can weigh us down. Finally, he says, it'll make us ill-prepared for his return. I thought about that. Going through life, he said, and I'm I'm warning you, he said, abstain from fleshly lusts because I don't want you weighed down. I want you free to do all you can to serve the Lord with your heart. And if you're weighed down, oh, I can't move because I ate too much. I'm not thinking real clearly because I had too much to drink. I'm so overwhelmed with my worries. You see, Peter is saying it's so easy in life to get weighed down here. Neglect of our overall condition can lead, sadly, to worldly solutions. When we do begin to get weighed down, too often we find an easy out, a way to solve this problem. I mentioned the Romans, they fixed it. They just went outside and purged. Case fault. Neglect of our overall condition can lead to worldly solutions. Neglect leads us farther away from godliness. Stress is one of these weighers upon us. Now, don't raise your hand, and I think you'd be lying if you did. But which one of us doesn't experience stress? My goodness, life is stress. The alarm clock in the morning is stress. The dog barking all night is stress. Bills to pay, health issues, interpersonal relationships, the job, school, these are all stresses. And so the way that we have chosen to solve it through pills, or alcohol, or worldly entertainments, trying to escape reality for a while, we think in our carnal cravings, the, these cravings that are that we know are fleshly, they're not godly. We think that we can we, we can buy the lie that if we go ahead and just partake a little bit in this thing, that the, then the flesh appetite will go away. The temptation, if we just go ahead and, and, and dabble a little bit in this fleshly thing, then we'll feel better, won't be so tempted, we can go on with life. Is that how it works for you? Not me. Because feeding that fleshly lust causes it to get greater and greater and greater. Huh. We could be easily overcome way down. And next, keep a fresh relationship with Christ, daily yielding to His will. And Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. A fresh relationship with Christ. called walking in the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit of God. When you got up this morning, was your life filled with the presence of God? Behold our God. Is that how your life began this morning? It could have as we walk with Him. Last thing on last thing your mind last night, was it the cares of this world or was it the sweetness of a relationship with Christ? It's interesting because this particular one is a flat-out command. Uh, abstain is not a, a direct command. It's an, what I would call an indirect command. This is a in-your-face command. This is the commanding officer said, I order you to walk in the Spirit. What's it mean to walk? Well, basic. Walk is to take one tread after another. One step after. That's walking. Or, or to take repetitive steps. What's it mean to walk in the Spirit? To take repetitive steps acknowledging him his presence and submitting to his will. Walking in the Spirit is simply yielding to him over and over and over it's not a one and done it's a daily many times daily process and then fellowshipping with Christ along the way. What's the result if we keep a fresh relationship with Christ? Daily yielding to his will, what's the result? Ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 8, 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Freedom from the flesh is found in walking in the Spirit. 2 Timothy two twenty two flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do you really think that if you were the devil, that you would try to bring a, an enormous temptation to a child of God who is in the midst of sweet fellowship with Christ? Is that the right time to tempt them? When they're in, in, in the, wrapped in the Spirit of God, strong in Him, is that the time they're going to be strengthened or, or tempted? I don't think so. So perhaps the remedy is for us to continually be communicating with and fellowshipping with Christ number two or number one is to stay away from the wildlife <laughs> tourists number two is keep a reputation of honesty verse number 12 says having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now this is another indirect command. Christians are becoming very suspicious in this world. Many of you remember a day where Christians were held high in society. They were were considered to have those of integrity, those that would keep their word. And perhaps I'm going back farther than I think I am. Today the scene has changed. Society no longer reveres Christians. Society is now beginning to hold Christians responsible for all of the social ills they experience. It's a Christian's fault. Society is becoming more and more intolerant of that religion that espouses only one way to heaven. Christians should maintain a consistent lifestyle of good works. You see, good works is God's plan for Christians to have an impact on the world around them. You and I, we are to be known by our good works. In Acts 9, verse 36, now there's at Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Well, Dorcas, bless her heart, got sick and she died. Verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. And then Peter prayed over her, and she came back to life. Verse 42, And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Understand the amazing setup to many coming to salvation in Christ. It was the good works of this woman named Dorcas. Because she had done so much in her lifetime for others, She became the foundation upon which God did a mighty work of salvation. Good works. You see, good works makes faith visible in this world. In James 2.18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well. But the devils also believe. And tremble. But wilt thou know, o, o vain man, that faith without works is dead? In Matthew 5:16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I just don't understand it. They won't listen to me when I tell them the gospel. They won't listen to me. Oh, I get so angry at them. Maybe they would listen if you did some good works for them. Maybe instead you started to serve them for a while. Look for ways to be kind to them before trying in their minds to jam your religion down their throats. You say, oh, but pastor, they're going to die and go to hell. Yes, they will. And they'll go faster if you keep trying to jam it down their throats. He says good works. Now, mind you, it can't be just good works. There has to be a vocal testimony of Christ. But we must build a connection, especially these days. We must build a heart connection with people. Christians should live with Christ's return in mind. He says in verse number 12, the end of the verse, that they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, our behavior now should be above reproach. In Titus 2 7 and 8, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say about you. Our behavior needs to be above reproach. We need to walk through this life with a good testimony. Our neighbors need to think that we have integrity. They need to think that we have self-control, that we're not always flying off the handle, that they're not hearing uh, domestic uh, arguments all the time through the windows that are open. But our behavior may not be justified until His return. In 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. In other words, the world might not understand. Even as you're doing good works, the world might not trust you. They may doubt your thinking because of an agenda that they think is hidden. But he says, just keep it up. Keep it up. Because when the Lord returns... It will all be made known, he said. Tourists, number three, live in obedience to man's laws, he said. In verse 13, 1 Peter 2, he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, I'll stop there, Once again, this is a command. This is an in-your-face command from the director, the commander. Submit. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Live in obedience to man's laws, is what he's saying. In uh, Romans chapter 3, 1 and 2, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God and they that resist shall receive themselves damnation we are to submit to men for the lord's sake we are to obey men by faith with the realization that god created the designations of order for his glory god clearly works his will through the authority of man so submit to men for the lord's sake secondly submit to all in authority He goes on to say in verse 14, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. The word governor here literally means a leader. Leaders. Chief persons. Maybe it's not the king. Maybe it's some local leader, he said. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? Well, they're to punish evildoers. That's why. That's God's ordinance. In 1 Peter 2 14, or under, oh, I just read that, or under governors, or uh, as unto them that are sent by him. They are to punish evildoers, for the punishment of evildoers. But they're also, interestingly enough, to encourage and praise them that do well. Now, this has never happened to me. But I've heard tell of some folks. Being pulled over by a policeman and the policeman walks up to them and of course the person being pulled over is very nervous they're looking through their glove box trying to get their registration and insurance papers and the policeman said oh you're doing fine I just stopped you to commend you for how well you're driving have a good day now that hasn't happened to me But he says here that those in authority over us have two responsibilities. To punish evildoers and encourage to praise them that do well. That's God's ordinance. Now, are all of them doing that accurately? No. No. But that's God's order. And we, by faith, are to submit to that order. We are to submit to man in turn. We're obeying God. Verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing he may put the silence the ignorance of foolish men. As we submit ourselves to the ordinance of men, we are, in turn, obeying God. So as I obey this law of man by faith, I'm in essence obeying God. I remember, I think it was mentioned in, in growth group this morning, I remember when the seatbelt law first came into effect. And all oh, the griping that went on with that. Oh, my goodness. You are every gripe, gripe, griping. Many people say, that's an infringement on my rights. I'm not going to wear a seatbelt. That went on for years. <laughs> We're to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. You mean I've got to wear a seatbelt? <laughs> yeah. In so doing, I'm obeying God. Number four, tourist, don't don't abuse your liberty in Christ, verse 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, as free, we who are saved have liberty now, hallelujah, this is incredible. I will never be judged for my sins. It's incredible. When I die, I don't have to worry about the Lord replaying all my sins for me because they were already judged at the cross. That's a wonderful thing. I'm free. Hallelujah. But where some people take that freedom and liberty is, since I'm not going to answer my sins on that side of eternity, that means I can live however I want to now. I might as well, like the Epicureans, eat, drink, and be merry. Do everything to fulfill my flesh now, because after all, I'm going to heaven anyway. And Peter says, as free, yes, you're free. And yes, if you do those things, you will not answer for it in heaven. But he says, don't use your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Instead, be a servant of God. And by the way, let me just add very quickly that if I choose to live my life here because of my freedoms for myself, no, I will not answer for the sins there. But what I will do is I will, I will miss the opportunity of enjoying a life walking in the Spirit of God. I will not have the sweet freedom of the, of the communication with God now because He's not listening to my prayers because I'm living for me i will miss a lifetime of fellowship with him and when i get to heaven oh i'll get there but the bible says so as by fire no rewards none is that really the kind of life i want to live after all that jesus did for me galatians five thirteen for brethren ye have been called unto liberty only Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Because I am free, I ought to use my freedom to serve others. In our freedom in Christ, we will either serve our flesh or we'll serve others. Lastly, tourist. He says at verse number 17, Honor all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Lastly, place value on all men. Now, this is a generic term here, all men and women, all people. Place value on people. You see, that's one thing that that distinguishes our religion, our faith, from most others. Christ teaches us to put value on all The word honor here means to prize, to fix a valuation upon, to revere. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We're to honor one another. First of all, he says, honor all men or honor all. This is the mindset we should have in this life, respect toward all men. Learn to see the lost as God sees them, hopelessly bound in sin needing Christ. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, God loved the world. We are to see the world the same way God does. We're next to love the brotherhood. You see, loving one another, we we come to church, we to love each other. Oh, you say, well, Pastor Adler, I don't have any trouble loving other church members except that one person. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and man, when I come here, if I see they're here, I feel like going home. <clears throat> Aren't you glad Jesus never said that about you? Don't you think we have the potential to irritate the Lord? And yet he never one time says, I don't want to be around you. Loving one another is is, is commanded. I find that in John 13, 34 where it says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Love one another is indicative of salvation. You wanna know if somebody's truly saved? He says, here's one way to tell, do they love the brothers in Christ? 1 John 4 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Loving one another reveals Christ to others. In 1 John 4:12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. I've never seen God but I've seen evidence of God in the lives of his people. Your neighbors have never seen God, but your neighbors need to see him in you. Next, he says, fear God. Fear God, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, he says. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We're to fear God. Keeping a proper awe and respect toward God should be at the top of our priority list. It's the very beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's kindergarten or preschool, if you will. And then honor the king. Honor the king. We're going to honor all men. We have to honor the king as well. First of all, don't resist your authorities. I read for you Romans 13:1 and 2 that says, "Let every soul be subject under the higher powers." Don't resist. Titus 3:1 says, "Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work." We're to not resist them, and secondly, we are to pray for them. 1 Timothy 2.1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Don't resist your authorities. Pray for your authorities. Honor all men. Tourists. There is, I can just see it. I'm looking out and I'm seeing a whole congregation of folks with with cameras and binoculars walking out to see the sights. That's us. As we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. As uh, director of addictions ministry, my son-in-law is dealing with a lawsuit. Right now, it's a big burden on him. It's against the ministry for something that was done before before he became in leadership. He had to hire an attorney to protect the ministry. He he got a really good attorney. But the attorney was not a saved man. Because Brad, as he always does, shared his testimony with the man. And the, the attorney that... Brad Hired said that uh, he doesn't have a lot of respect for Christians because he said uh, in his experience some of the ugliest battles he's fought have been in court with Christians going to court with other Christians. Brad told me on the phone, he said, I'm purposing I'm purposing to be a light to this man who needs Christ. I wonder, is it possible that this unsaved man, who right now doesn't think a whole lot of Christianity because of Christians, I wonder if this unsaved man is too late I personally don't think so. And I think God has established a relationship there with my son-in-law for this very purpose. What about those folks in your sphere? How are you influencing them? We as tourists, we're pilgrims, we're strangers, we're passing through this world to our real home, our long home, and while we're here, we have a responsibility, Peter said, a responsibility reflect Christ to a lost and dying world. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, and thank you for this admonition from Peter this morning. And oh, how we need to be reminded that the life we're living right now is just temporary. It's just a short a short time. As we are all on our way, following Dell's ex- uh, example, of being with you in eternity forever. And Lord, if we're going to have any opportunity to reach people, it's now. So Lord, would you please do a work in our hearts and lives and help us to be the kind of strangers and pilgrims that would bring you glory and would have a positive influence on those around us. So Lord, help us to remember these admonitions from Peter to live our lives, not for ourselves, but for in service to you as your servant and to reach the world. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and in just a few moments we'll be done. But I don't want to conclude this time without you personally giving the Spirit of God an opportunity to work in your heart. What kind of an influence are you having personally to those around you? Are you even concerned? God so loved the world. Do you? This morning if you haven't already could I challenge you to confess any weaknesses to the Lord honestly and ask him for the strength to be what you need to be as a stranger and pilgrim passing through this life and then if you walk in this morning and do not know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, I've got some good news for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross a long time ago to pay for the sins of all mankind. It's it's a done deal. All He asks from us is that we confess that we're sinners. We cannot get to heaven because of our sin, so we must come to Him by faith and confess that we're sinners, and then trust Him and Him alone to save us, and He promises He will. Have you ever been saved? No one's looking around, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Is there anyone that would say with an uplifted hand, Pastor, I do not know for sure that heaven is my home when I die, but I want to know, would you pray for me? Anyone put that hand up so I could see it? Anyone, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure that heaven is my home when I die, but I want to know, anyone? Dear Lord, thank you for this sweet time, and I pray that you might continue the work that you've begun in our hearts and lives. We need your working in us. We thank you for this time. Continue, I pray, what you've begun, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.